0: Welcome to the Crossview Church message of the week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, good morning. Uh, Welcome to Crossview this morning, and I hope that you have had a great week. One that has been marked uh, by the Spirit of God encouraging your faith every day. You know we've been in a series over the last few weeks in the book of Acts and as we continue in our Acts series this morning our primary focus is going to be on a few verses at the end of Acts chapter 4. But in order to understand this passage we have to walk through the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4 because all of these sections are very much connected Uh, and very important to see how this progress works. So let's start off by reading the passage that we will be landing on together uh, in order to kind of get the context of of the power of this passage that we're looking at. So uh, let's read it together. It's at the end of Acts chapter 4, and it starts in verse 29, and it reads like this. And now, O Lord, hear their threats. And give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your, servant, your holy servant, Jesus. After this, it says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with great boldness. So this is a fantastic passage at the end of chapter 4. We're going to be focusing today on the idea of boldness and our faith and what that looks like and what we can learn from the disciples here uh, in this prayer and what they had to go through. So as we think about how the disciples got to this point of praying for boldness, uh, and this word is really cool because it also means this word boldness here in this passage. It also means to have courage or uh, to act with public confidence. So there's this kind of active, outward, visible element to this idea of boldness, which also means having courage, which also means having public confidence. So it's kind of fantastic when you think about it that way in the context of our faith. But as you think about this idea of boldness, uh, kind of a cool reflection here. I, I invite you to think about a time when you had to be bold in your life. What did that look like? What moment comes to mind when you think about having to be bold? Well, for me, when I think about a time that I had to be bold in my life, I think about um, uh, a running camp that I uh, ran in high school, that I attended in high school, this running camp was—I've got lots of crazy stories about this running camp. It was a high-altitude running camp in the Steens Mountain in Oregon, and I looked it up this last week. It's still—I wanted to make sure that it's still going. It, it's still going. You can look up their website and kind of see some of what, uh, uh, some of what, the, some of the stories that I remember. What I might share here, but this camp was nuts. Uh, I've got so many crazy stories about this running camp. For example, having to wash off in a mountain runoff creek. Number one, it's freezing cold. And in this creek, you had to get in and wash off real quick. And then you had to pull the leeches off of you because the creek was full of leeches. We had to run across a canyon. It was kind of a 2,000-foot canyon, kind of a V canyon, straight down and straight up. Uh, Pretty crazy Uh, canyon and we had to run across as a race. It was maybe a five or six mile race across this canyon. But one of the teams, uh, there was a kid on the way down who broke his leg and they didn't stop running until they got to the other side and finished the race. And then he got some help. And all of that, there's another day I remember in that camp, which is the second day of that camp, which is called the big day. It's a 30 mile run on the second day of a high altitude camp. I ended up doing that camp twice in high school. I have no idea why. It was nuts. So not only do I think about having to be bold and courageous when it comes to that camp and the activities of that camp, but for those of us who attended, maybe we had to be a little crazy too. It's pretty nuts. Well, back to the scriptures as we think about this idea of boldness. So last week, we looked at the beginning of chapter three where Peter and John uh, healed the lame man sitting by the beautiful gate uh, or or the main entrance for many people on the way into the temple. And we noted that this man's healing was a significant step for the disciples and a significant step for the early church as the gospel of Jesus was now taking its first steps out into the larger world after the last few moments of the disciples with Jesus, uh, his ascension, and then the filling of the Holy Spirit. So it's a really cool moment as we read in the book of Acts where we see the gospel of Jesus beginning to have an effect in the larger world. And what's so exciting about the healing of the lame man is that it begins to show us that the power of Jesus, the power of the gospel is for everyone, not just the Jewish people of the day. That has major implications for the rest of the New Testament and major implications for the world ongoing. And it's why we sit here today in the presence of Jesus. Another thing we noted is that the healing of this lame man means not only is it uh, the, the gospel of Jesus and, and the, the saving, renewing work of Jesus for everyone, but it Uh, outside of even the Jewish family, but it means it doesn't matter your status in life. We've talked about that in in the context, the lame man. And we we kind of reflected on this quote from author Brendan Manning, where he says, Jesus comes not for the super spiritual, but for the wobbly and weak need who know that they don't have it all together and who are not too proud to accept a handout of amazing grace. What a great kind of uh, uh, thing to think about. And it's very, very true. After the lame man is healed, what we see is that because of that healing, at the end of chapter three, we see that there's a crowd that's growing. They want to check out what's happening, and so in Acts chapter three, verse nine through eleven, here's what we we read. We read a little bit of this last week, and it says this: that all the people saw him, the lame man, walking, and heard him praising God. When they realized that he was the lame beggar that they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and to John. So then, once again, like we saw Peter do it, after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, Peter stepped up and and, and preached. Uh, we commented in the first couple of weeks that it's really important to pay attention to the speeches and the sermons uh, throughout the book of Acts. And here's another opportunity where it says that Peter saw this opportunity to address the crowd. And so we read in chapter 3, verse 12, it says that Peter saw this opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? Now he goes on to say, among other things, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends," he says, "I realize that you and your le- I realize what you and your leaders uh, did to Jesus was done in ignorance. He's re- referencing the crucifixion. But God was fulfilling all the pro- what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you, Jesus, your appointed Messiah." So this is pretty incredible. And you want to talk about the idea of boldness. Peter is very bold in this moment with this crowd gathered around him. It's this very exciting moment right after this miraculous healing. Peter wanted to make a few things clear to those who saw the healing and those who were listening as they gathered. There were uh, many different people in the crowd, not just Jewish people, but non-Jewish people as well. So Peter had a few things to say to everyone and then a few things to say specifically to his Jewish brothers and sisters. First, he wanted to make it clear to everyone that it wasn't by his power or by John's power that this, the lame man was healed, but by the power of Jesus alone. One commentator I read this week said this, that the most remarkable feature of Peter's second sermon is its Christ-centeredness. He directed the crowd's attention away from both the healed cripple and the apostles to Jesus himself. He says, listen, everyone, this is all about Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. It's Jesus who invites us into to experience renewal. It's Jesus who invites us into healing, who sets us right again. It's Jesus who forgives our sin and then guides us and directs us. It's all about Jesus. And then he says, and you know why that is? And this is where he begins to turn to his Jewish brothers and sisters. Because Peter says, Jesus is the hoped for savior that we've heard about throughout our entire history. God's promises come to us through the person of Jesus. So then what Peter does is he connects Jesus in this, in this sermon, he connects Jesus to the promises of the Old Testament stories that his Jewish brothers and sisters would have known very, very well. So in Acts 3, verse 22, it says, Moses said, your Lord God will rise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. So he connects him to the, what uh, Moses said about the coming uh, rescue and redemption. And then a few verses later in verse 24 through 26, he goes on, he says, starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what is happening today. You are the children of those prophets and you are included in the covenant that God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all families on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. Pretty incredible, pretty straightforward, and pretty bold. So another commentary I read about this said and about this moment, that in his testimony about Jesus, Peter attributed to him a cluster of significant titles. He began by calling him Jesus Christ of Nazareth, but then he went on to style him as God's servant, the holy and righteous one, the author and the pioneer of life, the prophet foretold by Moses, the stone that was rejected that has become the cornerstone Servant in Christ, Holy One, Source of Life, Prophet, and Foundation Stone. All of these titles speak of the uniqueness of Jesus. And they're all connecting him to the ancient Jewish understanding of the Messiah. That's who this is, everyone. That's what Peter is saying. Powerful description of who Jesus is. Very clear, very bold, very direct. So in this very bold message, essentially Peter is making, uh, so I guess there's another aspect of why this is bold, bold for Peter. He's being very clear about who Jesus is, very clear about where this healing from the lame man came. But the context of how or where he's saying this is important as well. Because we see another element here of this boldness. He's saying this, Uh, in the temple, right? In the primary place for the, the Jewish people to gather and worship God, hoping for this new Messiah. So he's preaching in a bold way too. And he's trying to be as clear as he can. And he's calling for action, calling for a response around the person of Jesus. This is incredible. So as you can imagine, because not everyone thought this way, especially the Jewish, uh, his Jewish brothers and sisters, they weren't very happy with what he was saying and where he was saying it. So it tells us that as as chapter four begins, it tells us that Peter and John were confronted by some people from the temple. They were confronted by the priests, the captain of the guard or the, the police in that area, and the Sadducees. And it says, these leaders were very disturbed at what they were hearing, so, that, so they arrested Peter and John. Now I'll just pause here and just say, sometimes when you are following the way of Jesus effectively, you will encounter resistance. Sometimes when you're doing well at following the way of Jesus, you'll, you'll encounter hardship and even discouragement. And I wonder if that's been some of your experience, if you've had that, uh, that trouble as you've been attempting to follow Jesus. See, we see it all over the scriptures and I think we know from our own experience as well that the saving and renewing work of Jesus has a tendency to turn things up on its head. It's not necessarily fair, it feels like, to, to people in the ancient world and maybe even still for us today. Wait, 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 Peter. You're saying that Jesus is God, the promised Savior, and the saving and renewing work that he's doing is for everyone, not just us not just the Jewish people or, or his historically covenanted relation, uh, people of relationship, but now it's extending to everyone? You're saying the people like the, the lame man who is, has, is, is disabled and has a terrible lot in life has just as much opportunity to receive the saving work of Jesus as the high priest in the temple? <laughs> the answer is yes. And that didn't make people very happy. Almost always the way of Jesus upsets the status quo. And those in power, or as scripture calls them, the principalities and powers, uh, don't like that. So oftentimes you will experience hardship, discouragement, um, and difficulties when you're being effective at following the way of Jesus. But here's the good news. Jesus doesn't leave us alone, and we know that from these previous chapters in Acts here. Jesus doesn't leave us alone, but gives us what we need to follow him and helps us along the way. So Peter and John here uh, experience resistance. They're arrested, and Peter and John were put on trial the next morning, and all of these city officials come uh, and we there, it says. In Acts chapter four, verse five through seven, we read, the next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, along with Caiaphas, John Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in two disciples, they, oh, they brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? <laughs> That's such a great question. And I love it. But let's, let's, before we, we dive into this moment, I want to just take a moment and, and talk about who it is uh, that's, um, that has arrested Peter and John and who's addressing them. So Luke makes it clear that this persecution of Peter and John in this moment was uh, initiated by the Sadducees. So we hear about um, the Sadducees in a couple of different places, but the Sadducees were the ruling class of wealthy aristocrats, aristocrats Jewish wealthy aristocrats of that day. Politically, they had integrated themselves with the Roman empire and they followed a policy of collaboration. They were part of the ruling class that tried to maintain this very unique relationship between Rome and the Jewish people. The Pharisees, we hear, is another group of Jewish leaders and they were more in charge of the religious uh, leadership and the the managing of the temple and those kind of things. So you have the Sadducees and the Pharisees that are kind of the ruling class partners here for the Jewish people. And what we see here in this passage is that it's the Sadducees that are initially worried about what's happening. Um, and. They, they, so they integrated themselves with the Romans. They had a policy of collaboration or working with the Romans to maintain this unique relationship. And so they feared that what Peter and John were talking about would mess up that relationship. That's maybe a little bit of an oversimplification, but that's part of what's going on here. Theologically, the Sadducees believed that the messianic age or God's, God's time of rescue started much earlier in the intertestamental period, that time that was about 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There was uh, what's called the, it's called the Maccabean period. That's a whole, that's, and it, that's maybe a whole nother sermon. And in other words, Uh, all we need to kind of know out of that is that these Sadducees did not, they were not looking for a Messiah. They did not believe that Jesus was that Messiah because they believed that that had begun much earlier and with a different person. They also denied the doctrine of of resurrection from the dead, which Peter and John were claiming Jesus did and not only was with Jesus, but through faith in Jesus, we will have the opportunity to be resurrected uh, as well. So the Sadducees saw what Peter and John were talking about. Uh, they saw them as agitators, as heretics, as disturbers of the peace, as enemies of the truth, and they were disturbed. Some uh, translations say that they were annoyed or exasperated by what these men were teaching, that they were un- it was unauthorized preaching by unprofessional preachers. <laughs> so great. So Peter and John are... Uh, in some trouble early on here. They're brought before this intimidating group of leaders and they're challenged directly by what power or in whose name have you done this? That is, have you healed this lame man? And I wonder if they were a little bit afraid if Peter and John had an opportunity in, in jail that night to talk about, okay, what are we gonna do? What, how will we respond to whatever they ask? We've never been in a situation like this before. or Maybe we've been in a situation but not quite like this before. And I wonder if they were afraid. What are they going to do? We don't know. We do know that fear can be a significant deterrent to obedience. That fear can be a significant deterrent to the the idea of being bold and having courage or public confidence as uh, is talked about here in this idea of boldness. Fear can be a deterrent to obedience and following the way of Jesus. I wonder if you've experienced that in your life as well. Well, We don't know if they were afraid, but what we do know is we do know what happened next and how they responded to this question that they were being asked. In Acts chapter four, starting in verse eight, it says this, and I love this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, we are being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man do you want to know how he was healed? Oh, I love it. It's so exciting. It's like, here it comes. Peter's going to go for it. And he says this, Let me state clearly for all of, uh, uh, to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Wow, so direct, so bold and and directly challenging some of what the Sadducees thought and believed about how God worked in the world. Just incredible. And uh, then it says that the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John for they, they, they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training from the scriptures. They also recognized that they were men who had been with Jesus. Wow, what an incredible moment here. An example of God's spirit helping the disciples do what he'd called them to do, which is to do witness-like activities, which we've been talking about In the power of God, Peter boldly preached the exact same message that got them arrested in the first place. Just incredible. And I love it. So these authorities, they they need to figure out what to do. They don't really know what to do with these two. They couldn't deny the healing of the lame man. We talked about the lame man last week. It's possible that he was walking around uh, in in the temple at this trial here. Uh, so they couldn't deny that something significant and incredible had happened. They couldn't arrest Peter and John even further because they were afraid of a riot. We've been reading in the last couple of chapters that thousands of people had been coming to faith in Jesus Christ because of their teaching and their preaching, because of the move of the Holy Spirit in this moment. So incredible. We, we talk about this uh, in, in a little bit in the context of um, uh, Palm Sunday and Easter, when all the people had gathered in Jerusalem uh, f- to celebrate the Passover and to celebrate God's saving Israel from an oppressive government, which was Egypt. So we, we've talked about that the Romans were generally afraid of that time because they didn't want things to get out of hand. There, the, that the people could have overcome the soldiers and started a revolt. So they were constantly afraid of that. And the Sadducees here were afraid of that very same thing happening. Thousands of people coming to the rescue of Peter and John in this moment. So they didn't want to arrest him because they didn't want to start a riot. Which is pretty amazing to think about. Another kind of cool thing that we should notice here as we're talking about this time, which is, this is early on as the, uh, as the early church is kind of beginning its work. And so the the ruling class, in the, in the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, are still trying to figure out what this thing is. What is this what will become a move of Christianity. What is this thing? They're not very organized in their response yet. So it's kind of cool to kind of watch this happen. They don't quite know what it is. They just, and they don't quite, they're not quite organized uh, in terms of resistance and persecution yet. So the leaders didn't know exactly what to do. So after some deliberation, all they could tell Peter and John to do, they commanded them to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And we read in uh, Acts chapter four, verse 18. So they they called the the apostles back in after they had their deliberations and they commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. (laughs) Which is, it's like, yeah, how'd that go, right? So after hearing this charge, I love even more boldness from Peter and from John. In uh, verse 19 through 20, it says this, that but Peter and John replied, do you think that God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything that we have seen and heard. Another commentary said this, that unfortunately for the rulers trying to keep, the spirit, trying to keep spirit-filled apostles quiet is like trying to hold back a breaking wave these witnesses were not primarily trying to stir up trouble they simply wanted the freedom to speak of what we have seen and heard and we saw that again in the in the earlier chapters in acts when the spirit came upon the disciples and they preached boldly. They could not stop talking about what they'd seen and heard. And the Holy Spirit empowered them to do that in many languages. And that's part of what the idea of boldness is for us, is that we understand that as we're being bold, that what we're doing is we're speaking of things that we've seen and heard, the way that Jesus has changed us and transformed us. And we also recognize that that is empowered not by us, but by the Holy Spirit Uh, as we witness to what he's done, there's power in the Holy Spirit that changes hearts and minds. So exciting. And so the invitation to boldness is an incredible one for us as we think about sharing what Jesus has done in our lives. So Peter and John, what do they do at this point? They leave. They head back to the other disciples and followers of Jesus. You think they might have kind of wiped off their brow and say, "Woo." We just dodged, uh, we, that was a close one. It could have been a lot worse for us. In fact, with Peter and John going back to, uh, the, back to the other disciples and gathering together for prayer, it almost could have looked like that they were, they were leaving a dangerous situation and retreating back to safety. Retreating back to people that they knew they were safe with. Maybe they could say to themselves, Let's just, let's calm it down a little bit. Let's be, let's be a little bit more safe in how we approach preaching and talking about Jesus. But that is not what they did. And this brings us all the way back to where we started today. Once they got back with the other group of believers, once the only thing that they asked, the only thing that they prayed for, the only thing that the community of faith asked God to give them was power to speak with even greater boldness. Once again, Acts 4, 29 through 31. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power and may miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then it says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they preached the word of God with boldness. Boldness, confidence, public confidence and courage. So my hope for us today is that we will be encouraged toward boldness. Living in our faith from day to day, no matter what it is we face. Knowing that our boldness is connected to the idea of sharing what we've seen and heard knowing that that boldness when we share is empowered by the Holy Spirit to change hearts, to change minds, to transform us and, and make, us into more, uh, make us into people like Jesus and see that happen in the lives of other people as well. And as I end, I'll just end with this. Another comment here from a commentary that I think leaves us with a great thing to think about as we go throughout this week. What do Christians do when difficulties, hardships, or persecution threaten us, or threaten our community. We turn to God. The same God who created the world and all of its inhabitants, the God who holds all things within his power, even hardships by powerful people, does not take us out of God's hand. The same power which brought the world into being, which enables the community to worship, will also be with us no matter what we face. I hope that's an encouragement to you and I hope that that will encourage us to step into boldness in the power of Jesus for the sake of the kingdom and those around us. Wonderful things to think about this week as we uh, we take this, as, as we think and reflect. I encourage you to spend some time in chapters three and four of the book of Acts and let the Lord speak to you deeply. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you move with us, that you move in us, that you speak to us, that you draw us together, that you help us, Lord, uh, step forward in boldness, understanding that it's connected deeply to what we've seen and heard you do in our own lives and that it's empowered by the Spirit. Give us those moments throughout our days this week where it's clear that we can do witness-like activities and that you will help us. Fill us with the sense of your spirit closely with us day by day, moment by moment. We love you, Jesus. Help us live out our faith in significant ways this week. We give you all the praise and in your name we pray, amen.